Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, a very pleasant uh, good morning to you. This is Patrick Timpone. I look like I'm just living in the now there this morning. <laughs> I'm just in Nowsville with my red pill. Uh, uh, good morning. It is the uh, 18th of January. As you can see, Matthew Errett is here. Matthew is a regular guest, and we'll introduce him in just a second after I tell you that I was just having a bad hair day and didn't want to go on camera. Not really. I did a late-night Zoom meeting with a, uh, well, it's just a late-night Zoom meeting. Won't get into that. And didn't charge up my camera, which we haven't been able to figure out how to hardwire. So uh, no camera for, uh, until we get joined by uh, John Paul, uh, Dr. Bear Paul Lando, and that's coming up in a, in a couple of hours at around noon Central Time. Dr. Lando is um, in, um, he's in uh, the Northwest, uh, North, uh, just really a, a fun guy. And uh, you're going to learn about uh, all kinds of things. We talk about soul and mind and body and uh, herbs, exercise, cleansing, uh, all kinds of things. He's really a fascinating fellow. So he'll be here in a couple of hours. Mr. Matthew Errett uh, is a, is a regular on our uh, show. Matthew, thanks for coming on from time to time. It was a pleasure to be on your show, Patrick. You're, uh, you're a real lover of ideas, and so I, I enjoy, oh, enjoy good. bantering with we you. We like ideas. Matthew is a, a journalist. He's a co-founder of the Rising Tide Foundation. Uh, has nothing to do with Tide Detergent, but they'll tell you what that is. Also, Canadian Patriot Review, but he's really a prolific guy, Matthew. Matthew, you write a lot of stuff, published all kinds of books, uh, scientific articles, 21st century science. Uh, you dig in to the uh, uh, history, the history of, uh, of the world, and you write for a lot of different places, right? Off Guardian, the Duran, China Channel. You on the China yeah, Channel? Yeah. yeah, you know Xi? Do you know Xi? <laughs> I don't know Xi, but I I, uh, I do write for a lot of a lot of outlets. Huh. I saw a little Zoom meeting with Klaus and uh, Xi. Did you see that one yesterday? I read the transcript last night. Yeah. Yes. What, what do you think? What do you think? Oh, Xi's up to these guys are up to. Well, I think that in politics uh, historically, like as a historian, I you know look at a lot of firsthand literature of people who make history for good and for bad. And the thing you, you tend to come across is that what is said publicly and what is um, actually done politically are often not the same thing. Very rarely do you get a coherence of the two. Um, so I, I think that you have to look at policies and action over words because if you just look at the outward form of the public remarks made uh -huh. um by she at the uh the world economic uh forum bad stuff in, you'd find a lot of bad stuff in there yeah so the question in my mind is always what are the policies that he's uh dealing with like that he's putting into action ever and is there is it in coherence with the policies coming out of the world economic forum and the ideals of where the, uh, the those zombie-like borg transhumanist hmm. cultish creatures running <laughs> that was good i like that <laughs> you yeah. got that all in one sentence is, is there a coherence of the two uh future orientations or are they incompatible or are there points of discrepancy and that's that's oh. how i try to really look at things mm -hmm. so can we assume then the g is kind of all in with klaus i mean oh you can't assume that at all no you no. really wow good mm. 
No, you can, you can, I mean, you could assume that if you want, but you'd be wrong because it would be just, you can't, like I said, base somebody, base your judgment on just simply the outward words somebody uses. Mm-hmm. You have to look at, because I mean, look, it's like when you're playing poker, you, you have to, if you just show your cards, mm-hmm. then you lose every time you have to, you have to do decoys. You have to do. So I think that when I look at the policy orientation of China and the uh, the multipolar alliance mm-hmm. that is being encircled by U.S. and military uh, systems, you know, all around their perimeters. There's obviously drumbeats for war. There's infiltration by the CIA, by other Five Eyes branches that have infiltrated massively with thousands of NGOs that are tied to Soros trying to conduct color revolutions. Whoa. There's too much of <laughs> um, active agencies right now trying to destroy a process that's outside of the NATO cage that you and I live in under the five eyes. So there's, there's, Whoa. you know, so who, when you're going to walk from that other world into, yeah. into the cage and make remarks to some groups that have a lot of power, you can't just show all your cards. You're going to sometimes say things that seem very, very uh, polite as if you're, you know, you yeah. agree with what they're saying. So Matthew Arad, uh, in general, when you hear people talk, uh, uh, probably including your host here before I talk to you. That's why I have you on. You talk about the World Economic Forum and you kind of, we assume that there's this one energy model motive and they're going to just pull whatever this great reset and all this crazy stuff off. But are you saying then there's just a lot of moving parts of, of China, Russia, United States and everything that they're that they're mixing it up and they're all they're always leveraging for their own power. Is that accurate? Or well, I, I'm I'm saying that there has been um, a very long-standing agenda to reduce the world population and create a scientific dictatorship, yes, which abolishes all of the accomplishments of human civilization going back thousands of years. Oh, good. <laughs> um, that's that's been a oh, desire that's top down. Wow. For quite some time. Wow. Hmm. Along the way to get to get. To do those things, it requires eliminating um, certain defenses that humanity has created for ourselves over the years, one of which being the sovereign nation state mm-hmm. as an institution, which only came out in the wake of the the great re- the Florentine Renaissance in the 15th century. Before that, there was city-states, local, dividable, mini zones of influence that could be easily set against each other's throats in a, in a world of divide to conquer. There were very few examples or there were empires, you know, mm-hmm. that was, mm-hmm. that was sort of the world. It was the age of empires coming out of the Renaissance. There was the creation of the, the new type of institution out of the 30 years war. Um, that was the idea of the sovereignty of a nation and a national culture that could then utilize its powers of natural law, constitutional powers to, defend the people who are the nation right that we are representative governments yes. that we're not just going to be molded by the, by an elite of hereditary uh, rulers um so this is what the american revolution was a part of what that it grew out of was this this fight and uh, and it spread around the world you know like china had their own republican revolution in 1911 um where their their first president sun yat-sen was an admirer of lincoln he t- he studied um, in Hawaii when he was a student and learned uh, the basics of American constitutional law. And when he established the Republic in China in 1911, he was only president for a very little bit. He had to, to step down on, in favor of a warlord who was working with the British. But, um, but he was a really smart guy. And he uh, made, a, made it clear 
that Lincoln's principles of a nation for by and of the people were the only foundation upon which a new type of society that was viable could work out after they they overthrew the dynasty interesting um it spread to all sorts of countries in the in the world this idea of a nation state that's sovereign so that's what the hmm. the entire 20th century has been an obsessive effort by the oligarchy um which carries itself back to the days of of rome the roman empire and babylon to destroy the sovereign nation state because without that we it's much more difficult for humanity to prevent the type of uh, neo-feudalism and shutdown of the means of production, because I mean, to support 8 billion lives on the earth, you got to have a very high level of productive powers and technology. If you if you just go back to the type of technological technological levels that we had, you know, 800 years ago, mm-hmm. in the 14th century, mm-hmm. you couldn't sustain if you wanted to more than maybe a few hundred million people, maybe 800, 900 million people. Um, so that this is what they're trying to do around, you know, the Great Reset, COP26, all of these things that involve uh, shutting down carbon emissions, which is what happens. You produce carbon when you when you do industrial agriculture, uh, you know, when you produce anything that's you, that's that's sustaining life. It produces carbon in a in a uh, hydrocarbon based society. So they want to shut that down because they want to constrict us. But as long as you have sovereign nation states, they won't let it happen. So that's why I think when you look at what, when I, when I ask, what is China doing? What is Russia doing? What are its allies doing along the Belt and Road Initiative, which is 140 countries who have signed on since 2015, especially the, uh, the new framework of building large scale infrastructure projects in industrial corridors all over Eurasia, through Southwest Asia, uh, Russia, and, and into um, Africa. Some South American countries are also on board. It's very, it's very much the opposite. It's, it's increasing your means to support more people at a higher standard of living. It's creating new educational opportunities in Nigeria and Kenya where they're, they're training tens of thousands of engineers <laughs> to have the skill sets to, to actually, you know, stand on their own two feet. And let me interrupt you. This is part of uh, been stopping for a long time. And this is part of the China-Russia thing. What's your... What's your t- China-Russia have a, have a deep survivors alliance yeah, yeah. survivors around alliance. the shanghai cooperation organization mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is sort of mm-hmm. you know this grew out of the the 19 late 90s work by primakov uh and his chinese counterparts so, yeah so are there the any sovereign real sovereign nations now matthew i mean or there's a fight there's 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 a fight <laughs> they're always every fighting. nation has deep state impulse uh deep state operatives yes sir like tentacles embedded within it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What we and so it's important to keep in mind that you you're not dealing with a world of sovereign nations. There's no like, you know, China versus the United States. The United States does there is a legitimate um, tradition in the United States, but to speak of the United States the way most people do is insane. Um, there is a supranational financier oligarchy which had its branches embedded within the U.S. And if you ask why did most of the American presidents who died while in office die? What were they doing? You'll find that they were all challenging the power structures of the exact same deep state, yes. Wall Street, London mm-hmm. financier oligarchy within their own country, trying to masquerade as if, if as if it is American, as if these Eastern establishment Rockefeller, Morgan, blue blue bloods are actually American. They're not. Their their souls and allegiance has always been with this higher power structure in Europe, and so that's mm. that's been what's taken over control of the U.S. And there has been a fight since 1776 against this parasite. You have the same thing in every country. And if you don't have that sense 
mentally and, and a mapping of those structures historically and into the present you can't make sense of what a country is doing why is it doing it why aren't we all already dead right yeah <laughs> a lot of people say oh it's all controlled all sides it's all a big game They're, the the oligarchy runs everything and then you know my question is well then why aren't we all dead already why didn't they already win a long time ago why are they trying so hard now to do things that yes, they, they haven't already yeah. like cleaned up a long time ago uh, it's know, because there's a fight there's yeah, obviously a fight you know national nationalists who are utilizing the power of nation states in a creative way to flank them there's a battle happening and most people are asleep they're missing out on the battle yeah they're not they just don't know uh, it's uh, a little bit after uh, 10 o'clock central 18 january we're with matthew errett and he's uh visits us uh, fairly regularly here on one radio network uh i my camera had a bad hair day last night and we're going to charge it up and maybe it'll be on for for uh Mr. Londo, in a couple of hours. So, <clears throat> so um, these the, these presidents that were killed in office is it isn't it true that most of them were kind of messing with the money? The McKinleys and those guys they were trying to really mess around with the central banks and oh yeah yeah oh yeah. Um, you know, I, I'll just do a little shameless uh, plug here, okay? Um, sure, sure. For anybody who wants to know uh, some of my re- research on this, I just published a volume two of The Clash of the Two Americas. Oh, put that, in, put that and, in the center uh, of the Zbigniew camera Brzezinski. here. Put that in. Hold on. Oh, there you go. Right. Well, let me, let me, uh, let me yeah, do so this. Called, yeah. Hold on. That's here. So it's called Open versus Closed Systems, mm-hmm. The Clash of the Two Americas with a painting of JFK and Zbigniew Brzezinski and, an, and a big bomb going off. That's volume two. Hmm. it's pretty big um it's about 450 pages uh dealing from 1890 to the present and this one is uh, volume one okay the unfinished yeah the unfinished, the unfinished symphony, symphony uh-huh. by my yeah my, my wife wrote a couple of chapters that's volume one from 1776 to 1890 wow smaller 250 pages but it goes through if people want to know yeah. uh, what it was that these American presidents who die while in office, what are they doing? I would suggest you can go to my website and, and buy those, read the stories. But you're right. They're challenging the money power. And, and, and what is your what is your main website? Oh, it's CanadianPatriot.org. CanadianPatriot.org. I think I have that in my yeah. title thing. So, so you have these yeah. two titles and they start with 1776. That's pretty cool. Yeah, one is, one starts with 1776, and the other one starts with 1890, mm-hmm. where the other one, where the first one leaves off. And uh, yeah, the idea is to look at the eight because people know of the 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 four who are shot with the, uh, uh, you know, who die by bullet. Yeah. Um, Lincoln being the first to die by bullet, uh, then Garfield, then McKinley, then JFK. Hmm. But they often forget as well. There were others as well who died, um, including Harrison in 1840. You have uh, Zachary Taylor in 1851, um, who died by uh, <laughs> eating bad cherries and milk. <laughs> I hate it when that happens. Man. What is that? That's right. I hate it when that happens. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, then you have uh, Warren Harding, obviously, who also dies in, in I think it's 1923, and uh, FDR, who dies in, in April 12th, 1945. Um, and then you also you have the for good measure you have people like uh, like Bobby Kennedy. Yeah. Who, was, who had won the Democratic primary primaries was a shoe in for the presidency and, and who was killed also by Saran Saran, which was a MK Ultra uh, mind <laughs> mind mind control experiment, which is which uh, we could talk about maybe in a future episode. 
Um, but that was in the eight, 1968. So there's been eight official presidents who uh, wow. died while in office. Yeah. Um, and, and was it Bobby that said he wanted to break up the CIA in a thousand pieces, or was it J.F. John? John. John. John said it. You don't want to be doing that, boy. They, boys won't won't like that stuff, man. No, but you know, in the same measure, uh, Bobby. I, I'd read his book uh, towards a, a newer world, which uh, was published, unfortunately, posthumously. And you know, he's uh, he's very clear, nonetheless, the need to rein in the uh, the CIA and uh, and really transform the military from being this Vietnam bombing uh, military industrial complex into something which actually can build, you know, infrastructure, which mm-hmm. was originally the the entire intention by fdr by by fdr um in the in the wake of the end of world war ii was to convert the u.s military into an arsenal of democracy to assist countries like india a lot of countries of africa south america china to develop infrastructure modeled on the tennessee valley authority the hoover dam all of the things that the u.s had done during 1930s Mm -hmm. they were going to use that and instead Roosevelt uh, dies in a very mysterious way. There's never an autopsy done. Stalin is is on record saying that Churchill's uh, group assassinated uh, FDR, and instead the you know this deep state hive ends up taking over and purges the U.S. of the allies of of the people who shared FDR's vision for an internationalization of the the sort of New Deal economic practices utilizing the Bretton Woods systems around the world to get rid of empire. Wow. So they were all purged. Yeah. Some were assassinated. So in, some, uh, so in general, destroyed. when presidents mm-hmm. get in there and want to do something pretty cool and different, they yeah. they, they go after them. They just, yeah, yeah, you've got to be really, really yeah. careful. I mean, it's, it's somewhat miraculous that, you know, um, some of these guys were able to even stay in as long as they did. That that JFK was in there for a thousand days yeah. uh, was, was shocking, and and you kind of wish that he had better, better security, better protection, better wisdom, maybe about who. I mean, he had a pretty good sense of the evil around him. He did fire yeah. Alan Dulles yeah. after all. Yeah, um, yeah but I think he still had some blind spots, which is why he went out and uh, you know uh, the way he did publicly when he was picking a fight with the biggest. most evil beast in the world you're picking a fight with that thing directly and you're going to go out into in dallas and in open crowds i know yeah um just crazy silly did you have you had a chance to uh to come across uh, oliver stone's uh kind of update on the jfk movie he did a he did a documentary about the the assassination well i i'm yeah, Ed Curtin, who's a great historian, a friend, he uh, just sent me his his review of it, yeah. and I read it, and it looks great. Um, I, I loved Stone's first JFK movie in 1992, and I have yet to watch the new updated uh, documentary, which which is definitely gonna it's high on my agenda. Yeah, yeah, what I watched. So, so the fellow that that you know that is a real JFK scholar, he 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 had a good review of, of this update uh, that Stone has done has has put together. What do you know what it's called? Somebody will know. Maybe Lynn, who's it, listening, it's escaping me at the moment. Yeah, maybe Lynn, who's listening, does notes can can uh, uh, can uh, look at that, and so if people want to watch it. Matthew, we're going to take a little break here, sell a couple of items, or promote them anyway, and uh, then we're going to come back and dig into a subject that I'm kind of interested in: the Freemasons, right? The Freemasons, sure. yeah. Sure. And Matthew's going to tell us all about these dudes, and uh, so that'll be fun. So stay right there, Matthew Eric, Patrick Timpone. OneRadioNetwork.com. Let me pull up a commercial here and play this little puppy because I'm going to do it. 
this will be fun. Yeah, if you, do you know any medicinal mushrooms kind of thing? Um, sorry, my, my mouse is having a bad hair day here. This is from uh, Sir Thrival and Daniel Vitalis. Uh, great, great product. One of the very first things I do in the morning is come sit at my meditation chair, and that's when I take my dual extracted mushrooms from Sir Thrival, the chaga and the reishi. Both of these mushrooms are immunomodulators. If you had too strong of an immune system, like autoimmunity, it'll help to downregulate and calm the immune system. If you have too weak of an immune system, like an immunodeficiency, they help to upregulate or strengthen your immune system. So whatever you're dealing with, they help to bring your immune system to balance. In addition to being immunomodulators and adaptogens, Chaga is probably best known for its extremely high ORAC value or antioxidant content. It scavenges the body of free radicals. And Reishi has a long history being used in conjunction with meditation and for reaching higher states of consciousness. And that's why I like to take these right before my meditation. There's a lot of medicinal mushroom supplements on the market to choose from, but most are made with cheaply produced mushrooms grown on grain and either ground up and put in capsules or extracted in non-organic alcohol. Sir Thrival does it differently. We use wild harvested chaga and organic certified wood-grown reishi fruit bodies, not the mycelial extract. And then we use an organic alcohol and a hot water extraction method and then recombine so you get the full benefits of these extremely high quality mushrooms. Well, they really are high quality. And so that's what you want because, you know, there's just so many... Um, Oh gosh, there's so many different uh, products out there that you can get, medicinal mushrooms and such, and, and you just don't know how they're made or you know, and who's making them and where they come from and all of that. So we really encourage you to look at these products that Daniel makes. He's, he's a wonderful guy. I've known him for about 10 years. Very, very high quality, very high quality, and uh, fruited bodies and the whole thing. I think uh, also that the elk velvet antler is still on sale for another week or so, and it's called, and uh, you can see the promo code on the front page of OneRadioNetwork.com. We're talking with Brandon Amalani, and he is uh, the man who brings us the Blue Shield technology to keep us all those little EMFs from uh, doing harm to our body. Mr. Brandon, the Blue Shield is a really beautiful little cube, right? That's the main product. And how does this work? Well, the, the cube essentially sends out signals into the environment that entrain the body. So the body is affected by all these electromagnetic fields in this in the environment. Uh -huh. And when Blue Shield's introduced into the environment, the body starts sympathetically resonating with it. And what we found over 30 years of development is that the body prefers the algorithm, the frequency range, the randomization of frequencies that are exposed into the environment, and the body stops attacking EMF or perceiving the EMF as a threat. And what this does is it normalizes white blood cell count, and it also starts to um, reduce inflammation markers from the body trying to attack the EMF. Wow. So essentially what's happening is the body is basically renormalizing and reallocating immune power to the body, and it makes the body stronger and more well-regulated. Good job, Brandon. That's an excellent explanation of how this technology works. It's called the Cube, the Blue Shield. See the ad on the front page. Use promo code One Radio for a 10% discount. Get yourself one. Take care of the whole house. That's Blue Shield right on the front page of OneRadioNetwork.com. And ladies and gentlemen, the jury, you can, al you can also get yourself a little uh, a smaller version. It looks like a credit card. And if my camera was working this morning, I would show it to you. But uh, 
We've showed it to you before, and you can see it right on the front page of One Radio Network, or when you click and, and look, check out the blue tube. So, so do that, and uh, th- this will help your body to get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. Richard Mayberry is on uh, once a month, and he has uh, a- an early warning report that he's written since uh, a long, long time. I started getting the Richard Mayberry early warning report in 1986, I believe. Richard is a real patriot. He's a libertarian. He understands sound money, and uh, he'll uh, he'll uh, help you to maybe make your way through whatever is going to be going on in the next few years. Great reset, and who knows? I don't know what it is. But um, uh, so you can get a copy or sign up for his newsletter. It's a year prescription. Uh, I call it prescription subscription, and just click on the uh, on the front page, and you get a very nice deal special. Uh, save a, I think you save 175 bucks going through us for a year. So the whole thing is like 179, I think something like that for the whole year. So it's pretty cool. Also, a quick plug here before we go back to Matthew. If you're interested in gold and silver coins, and just kind of uh, you know hedging against whatever we see going on here in the world of money, uh, check out my friend Fred Dashevsky, U.S. Coin Capital, 800-878-2646. It's all numismatic coins. If you believe that inflation is going to keep going and the, the, the central banks are going to keep printing, as we do, it might want to uh, do yourself a favor, get some gold and silver, and uh, Fred can help you. 800-878-2646. From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Matthew Arrett is with us. And uh, Matthew, thanks for coming on from time to time. It's just really great to... Great to, great to have you on. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. It's always a pleasure to be Thank on. Thank you, yeah, because I get to talk to you about anything, because you're up on all this stuff, which was kind of fun. I saw something today you might find interesting. Uh, Jim Jordan was interviewing somebody. You know Jim. He's a feisty guy, and he mm-hmm. comes up with uh, some expert on all these things that the CDC and the NIH, uh, their total... I can't believe this. Their total budget is $58 billion a year. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. That's, that's near uh, U.S. military yeah. uh, industrial complex levels. No, right? no, no. Military industrial complex is $800 billion. Well, yeah. It's seven, but that, I'm saying it's, it's coming up to that. It's, it's No, this is $58 billion. Oh, 58. I heard, I heard 500. Okay. No, no, no. All 58. Right. Sorry. Yeah. 58 oh, okay. billion. Right. And then, okay. and then they had 30,000 people. And I did the math. That's about two hundred per, so two hundred two million per person. I don't know what the, what do you, couldn't you imagine thirty thousand people do at the CDC and the NIH? I mean, what could they possibly do? Well, you know, it's not surprising <laughs> because the the way that this type of of conspiracy because you're like, well, how do they get away with this level of criminal incompetence? Because I mean, some of it is criminal at the higher ups, the people who know what they're doing, and then along the way, in there's so many people who you know are not all that smart they're hyper specialized in the medical system in the bureaucracy and they're not they wouldn't willingly kill another person they right. wouldn't willingly destroy their constitution but they're still go- doing it they're not able to think about what they're a part of and and that's sort of how the game is played it's this hyper specialization right in, in throughout the cold war there was the application of this type of cybernetics to governance the system the science of controls where 
the idea was you overbloat every single bureaucracy, whether it's the OECD, whether it's NATO, whether it's your hmm. municipal or federal or state governments, whatever it is, the military, you overbloat it with, with, with democracy and departments and, and departments within departments. And you get everyone mentally to just wire themselves to just be hyper specialized in their little mo- part of the mosaic so that they can't see what the whole machine is that they're a part of. And only a small coterie um, who are in an executive position are allowed to see in a, as a controlling node what the whole is doing as a machine. So you have very few inputs, right, of uh, like where is the data, who's processing the data. Everyone's giving data, but who's processing it, creating the monopolized models that then generate the future predictions that then feed back into the the system of controls utilized by NGOs and governments to then carry out protocols, which end up killing people and they, nobody knows why. <laughs> so yeah, that costs a lot of money. So I'm not too surprised. Yeah, just, just wow, just, I mean, 58 billion. Uh, also like NASA, for example, they get 38 billion a year. I mean, 30 billion a year, sorry. I mean, I can't, you know, it's just. just yeah, I mean, you know, for things like that, it's like if they were doing things that were actually useful, yeah. you'd be like, okay. But if you look at like what sort of objectives they're giving, um, like the science programs, uh, like NASA and stuff, the, the sort of objectives that they have primarily now taking occupying their priorities is like how to better map out carbon dioxide emissions that you could then use to ultimately yeah, sir. satisfy COP26 carbon reduction protocols. <laughs> you know, like it's, I got nothing's you. based on actual acts of discovery anymore. I got you. Matthew, I, I'd still like yeah. you to move a little bit to your right if you can. I'm losing your head on the left and you got to... Sorry, yeah, yeah. There yeah, you go. Yeah. I, I want people to see your nice hairdo. My you left got. elbow is, is heavier, I guess. I see. I'll, I'll fight against yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, as I told you off the air and our, our listeners know, about six months ago, I became a flat earther. And if you really dig into the whole history of you know the flat earth and the heliocentric model, it's pretty fascinating. And one of the, one of the, the groups that keep coming up for it with all kinds of uh, 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 historians out there in this, you know, the heliocentric and the uh, model is the Freemasons, right? So according to these people, this group, maybe four or five hundred years ago, um, wanted to convince people and that the Earth was not flat, or was not flat, but was round and spinning around, you know, the sun and all of that. They didn't want people to feel important, according to what I've, uh, the history that I've seen, right? Because they thought the people were getting too important, feeling they were the center of the universe, right? And they wanted to convince people that... Um, um, you're spinning around the sun at billions of my 666,000 miles and you're, you know, there's nothing, you know, you're just out of control. Anyway, that's a short story. So whether or not you believe that or anybody believes that, um, who are these people, Freemasons? Um, wasn't um, some of the founding fathers Freemasons, Matthew? Yes, indeed. Um, I kind of... Not, I mean, not super happy with how you you framed that first question because there's a lot of things that you know you're. I'm I'm fighting against wanting to like de- derail the conversation into a discussion because you know where I stand uh, on the issue of flat Earth. Oh, that's um, that's fine. Don't worry about that. That's just another. That's another yeah, I don't idea. Want anyone listening to think that I necessarily acquiesce. I got you. No problem. About yeah. that. Yeah, we can um, be separate on that. But 
But we yeah. do know that these people were out there. I mean, there's real evidence that they were messing yeah, with. Yeah, sure. If you want to talk about Freemasons, sure. Yeah, Copernicus um, and uh, um, Einstein, and they were in on that, you know, kind of helping him to make some decisions. That's what they said. Who's the first name you uh, threw Copernicus. Out Copernicus. Okay. Um, but you well, don't, you don't again, have to. You're opening out a door for a totally, it's, it's almost like a separate show, which I don't want to derail this conversation. Okay, about. let's just stick with Freemasons then. I mean, we could. I mean, I, I could fold it in somehow, but I. Don't worry about that. Um, then that's all right. All right. Well, so, look, I mean, when trying to make sense of, of world history, um, you can't escape the fact that everywhere you look, especially when you start realizing that history is not what we've been taught by popular narratives in our schools, but there are conspiracies. And you start from that standpoint, okay? History is shaped by conspiracy, by which simply means intention to do things based on certain idea sets. Um, is that, with more is than that one what that person. means? Yeah, more than one person. Yeah, no. more than one person breathing together. And, and so conspiracy can be done for good, can be done for bad. It's not a bad thing intrinsically, a conspiracy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you build a house, you get a whole bunch of people together to meet on a certain day, it's a conspiracy. Um, and, and, and the idea of the house is a blueprint. It's an idea, right? It has a purpose. And that future state of the house is what organizes your choices and, and behavior in selecting your wood, doing your cutting, your measuring, right. your concrete pouring, right? everything else right. is organized by a future state. And that's just a local thing. I'm saying it this way because everyone can sort of identify with that sort of thing. You know, I want a sandwich. That idea of the sandwich <laughs> and the purpose of it is in the future. Yeah. It doesn't exist yet, but that future state is organizing the unfolding of all of my decisions as I go to the fridge, pick out the bread, right? Every, if you ask, why is each thing happening? It's not happening because my, my elbow is just moving and my, my muscles are flexing to pull out the bread from the fridge. No, that's, that's, that's idiotic. To be a, a, a hmm. mechanical... A hyper materialist that's what you would say what you're right yeah <laughs> that, that's I'm why you're it. opening the fridge doors because your your arm bent a certain way and it's like no <laughs> i have an intention based on what i want in the future that is animating each unfolding part yes sir so with you philosophically and I'm, I'm gonna get back to the the freemason thing but i think it's just too important on methodology to see why do people not believe in 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 conspiracies yeah first of all hmm. because they don't understand that that the universe is wired by all evidence, scientific, historic, teleologically, this simply means future states that have purpose organize the unfolding of the present. It's not the past which is causing the present to be. It's it's not the present causing the present to be. It's it's the future, but it's also tied to the past. That's all acting on present moments at all times, infinitely. So um, this is based on ideas, and and the human mind has this wonderful uh, capability to discover invisible causal principles in creation like, you know, electromagnetism, electricity, uh, the forces of the of the life principle, right, that animates evo creative evolution and everything else. So we can discover things causally. We can modify our will in accordance with those discoveries if they are transmitted from one mind, because it's useful if I just, if I make a discovery and I cannot transmit it to other minds who think wrongly, that's useless. I live, I die, and yes, my sir. discovery dies with me, right? Yes, I got to be able to transmit that. And then people have to be, they have to have the moral courage once they're on board with like, okay, what he just discovered is true. It, it explains something much better than all of the other theories I was taught. I'm going to go with that, but I'm going to, that means I'm going to pick a fight, right? I'm going to make enemies because this never happens smoothly. There's always vested interests who, you know, 
benefited from the old obsolete way of doing things that will kill you at times to keep their their system of control in place Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. at the very least they'll try to you know shame you on a lower level but they will also try to slander you or, or destroy you and that's the that's that's part of the human experience so far so you have to have courage you have to have moral integrity to love the truth more than you love your career more than you love you know even your life um because it's risky it's risky to you know and uh, and then society if it's at that point you can uh willfully if it's act accordingly with new technologies right that are brought online with this new discovery that that can then be incorporated into your industrial into your educational process that upshifts your power to express your true self within the universe and the universe responds it resonates to our our species by giving us powers to sustain more of our, our our species at higher standards of living with more access to our spiritual cognitive powers instead of just being you know brute animals on a on a plantation which is what most of our great 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 grandparents you know were mostly most people were peasants right you 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 lived much like a um a mule would work the land so we're liberated from the material constraints on certain moral conditions so i'll just say that now history is shaped by um intentions to either bring us into situations where we're more cattle-like more right we lose contact with our deeper selves or we we're more we have access to the divine within us mm-hmm. we have political emancipation new right new types of discoveries are fought for and given to mankind so both sets are there now when you're digging through history you find that the people who shape a lot of the processes in history you brought up the founding fathers often will be associated with uh secret societies mm-hmm and then you're like, okay, well, there's bad people, a lot of bad people who are associated with secret societies. And then you have these people who seem to do good things who are associated with secret societies. And you're like, okay. So the first question is, are they all in on it? Are they all actually evil? And the people I thought were doing good with their lives are guilty by associating themselves with right. these secret societies. Right. And thus they're all evil. And it's all a big cosmic joke by an oligarchy who maybe, maybe their evil is actually maybe good. That's I, I I went through that process. I know a lot of people who do. Like maybe they really do have secret knowledge, known only to the inner elite, hmm. for a higher maybe noble good that I am just not capable of understanding, which justifies their creation of mass purgative, purgative wars and assassinations and uh, you know global famines and enslavement over time. Maybe it's all for some higher cosmic purpose. <laughs> I don't understand. Okay. Maybe. Okay. okay. <laughs> all right. I, uh, so then you have to test your theory out, okay? So you test the theory out. Um, what I think was the most useful document, um, and, and first of all, like in my original research, um, going back to 2003, when I started thinking in these terms and I was trying to figure things out, I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to source material. So I, I went online, I spent a lot of money uh, for this used book called uh, Morals and Dogma. Morals and Dogma, wow. Morals and Dogma by a, a sociopathic uh, racist uh, <laughs> called Albert Pike. Oh, I've you, heard you of that name. Stuff? I've heard that name before. Yeah. Yeah. I don't it's know an why. old cri- crippled book. It's falling apart, but it's good. It, it, I mean, it's useful. <laughs> uh, basically, Albert Pike was a Confederate general, a leading figure with uh, Giuseppe Mazzini, who was a Italian um, Freemason working closely with Lord Palmerston, another Freemason <laughs> in, uh, in Europe, running anarchist movements. Uh, what are called the Young Europe Movements. 
um, this was done as a way to uh, weaponize the young people who had been suffering a lot of economic injustice and weaponize them to overthrow their own governments, kind of like little color revolutionary Navalny's, right, hmm. being deployed to to destabilize governments that were not wanting to remain obedient to the city of London and broader system of imperial controls in the 19th century. So Albert Pike, who was part of a Mazzini operation, this, this breaking up of nation states from within, there was a branch of it in the United States, uh, which ran the Confederate uh, rebellion. So Mazzini was a leading figure. So was uh, Judah Benjamin, the, uh, the, the Confederate uh, Secretary of State under, um, forgetting his name all of a sudden. Uh, anyway. Who was the Confederate president? Jefferson Davis. So, Mazzini, uh, ultimately, his operative uh, fails to break up the United States, right? The U.S. is preserved. Yes, sir. And uh, mm -hmm. Albert Pike writes, not only does it, well, he does several things in the wake of the Civil War. He, uh, he, he creates the KKK as a new terrorist operation oh, to, uh, with people wearing funny hats, mm -hmm. you know, letting, letting crosses on fire as, as a local terrorist cell. Um, that's wiped out, luckily, by Ulysses Grant, and it, it's only revived later on by uh, Woodrow Wilson and Teddy Roosevelt. But uh, the other thing he does is he recodifies Scottish Rite Freemasonry and redefines the 33 degrees. And so in this, in this book, it runs through each of the 33 degrees. Um, well, the, well, this one, it goes up to 32. Apparently, when you get to 32, then you get the last chapter. Um, <laughs> I guess at that point, if you've gone that far in the system... Uh, by you know you're willing to drink the baby blood or whatever else they ask you to do yeah, I don't know whatever they do uh, but it was very useful to read at least the last 10 chapters uh, just to get a sense of how they think um, my goodness that was part of my 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 research and I'm just taking you through my own research because um, I'm not like an expert in in this but I, I I do know a thing or two about history I've made I've made my own little contributions and discoveries so I might as well take you through my, my process but it still doesn't answer in my mind or it didn't answer my mind fully, okay, well, do they or do they not really have secret knowledge known only to the inner elite? Mm -hmm. And then I encountered, after a couple of years of, of working and uh, trying to piece things together, I encountered a very useful 1978 document, which I'll send to you, uh, written by an, a, a recently deceased American economist uh, named Lyndon LaRouche, which I found very useful. Oh, yeah, we know Lyndon. Yeah. I think you even had him on your show yeah, we once did. or twice. Years. Uh, years ago yeah, yeah years ago yeah um and in this it, this book was called or this it's a long 80 page thick essay wonderful essay uh called the secrets not only to the inner elites actually I've, I've been using that term but that's actually the name of that document and that helped me um wrap my mind around a lot of the paradoxes of why is it that mozart benjamin franklin wow. Marquis de lafayette people i respect um were were also affiliated with freemasonic operations right as well as the bad guys hmm and he made it clear in there, and I think he did a pretty good job developing his exposition, which goes back to the days of ancient Babylon, that you have had um, two dominant sets of, of ways of thinking about the nature of human beings and the nature of the universe and, and, and God. Mm -hmm. You have one is represented very nicely, as, as LaRouche puts it in this document. Um, which I'll, again, I'll send it to you and maybe you could share it in the description box of this video so people can read it for themselves. Okay. One is represented by the, the platonic um, faction, by a platonic, a grouping, a network that is continuous, that thinks in a platonic Pythagorean mode. 
and another group that thinks in an Aristotelian mode, mm-hmm. the Aristotelian conspiracy. Um, what does that mean? So Aristotle was, we're told, a student of Plato at the academy, right? And he continued Plato's theories, mm-hmm. maybe made them more materialistic, more grounded in reality. That's, that's what we're often taught. And Plato, we're told, is this idealist who loved who only believed in causality being based on metaphysics and higher ideas, not tied to reality. Um, That's not true. So Plato was part of a political network in his own day that was trying to subvert the, the oligarchical systems that utilized the Persian empire as a sort of a martyr Lord at the time run by the priesthood of Babylon, the old priesthoods of, of Marduk, which was the dominant priesthood of Babylon that Cyrus the great even who seemed to have been a mixed bag but at a certain point you know when persia takes over babylon in uh the 600 or so uh bc he submits and gives offering to the marduk priesthood of babylon which creates an in sort of a series of nodes within persia but also within athens around the apollo of delphi which is a cult where you know basically uh a young girl who's often raped by priests is is drugged up and for hundreds of years, the, the priest of Delphi, the, the cult of, of Apollo at Delphi, was the place where all kings went all to decide to be told whether they should, the gods want them to go to war, make peace, mm-hmm. what, you know, what, what they should do on economic, political levels. And they, they paid a lot of money for prophecies by this prophetess, wow. this, this, pipe, this, this, this poor girl who was, again, doped up, sputtering random sounds. And the priests would interpret what her mumblings were as signs from the gods and tell and this is how they orchestrated wars to get oh, allies good. to kill each other and this know? was and this was all part of the the, the, the this was uh, you say plato and arist and um this is the environment this is the world that was wow. being, that that was wow. this is what was shaping the world That's weird. that plato and aristotle lived in wow wow so from that standpoint when you look both at plato's dialogues mm-hmm as well as what he's actually doing in in geopolitical reality with his academy and with his associations with his different networks that stretch all the way to the the temple of amon in egypt um which is where i mean keep in mind plato as well as pythagoras earlier as well as solon earlier of athens all went to egypt especially this one particular uh, temple of amon in egypt um before they returned back to greece where solon uh conducted his reforms freed the debt slaves, did battle with the oligarchy of his day, established the basis for Athens. Pythagoras also, at a time of political crisis, um, studied for about a decade in uh, in Egypt, same place, and then returned back with a certain strategy to do battle um, against the forces of ignorance in, in his world. And, uh, and Plato did the same thing um, when Athens was going into a self-destructive uh, collapse mode. And he really saw something good that he wanted to salvage and save. But first, he had to get strategy, a strategic insight uh, by studying in, in Egypt. This is also where they say Moses, uh, when he was uh, growing up and getting his education, was likely through the Temple of Ammon. At least that's the theory. Okay, po- so we're, po- we're kind of going into some black holes. Let's like, let's like. Oh, no, no, I mean, it's all, it's all, it's all no, designed no. around the question. No, I understand. I, yeah, I just want people to be able to follow where you are because. The, okay. You know, you go down some different, and it, it's all fascinating. But let's see if we can kind of come back into. Um, okay, so here I'll, I'll pull it back in. Right? Yeah, I mean, pull it back in one minute. Yeah. So, 
uh, Plato is actually doing battle with this thing in his um, dialogues. He is teaching people how to pose the right questions and how to use your mind to look for uh, pr- what are causality. What is the causality behind why we should live a good life, why we should mm-hmm. have good political laws, why we should, uh, what is the nature of justice? Mm-hmm. And he's not doing it by giving you crystallized answers that you should memorize, which would shut your mind down. Aristotle is working for other political forces around Isocrates, who's running a different academy. Um that says, no, all of the world should be reduced to simply nouns and definitions. There are no verbs that are dominant. Verbs are slaves to, to nouns. Hmm. So you want to know what justice is? Read my definition, crystallize it, spew it out to pass a test. That's knowledge. Now, the reality is that's that's the way to, to destroy your mind If is by thinking of the universe descriptively that way. And you lose access to your ability to judge morally right and wrong. So the... Most of human society has remained in the shadows. They've, they've not been able to be permitted to, to access their inner potentialities. Yes. And that's been part of living under the system of empire. For those who have moved outside of Plato's cave, who have recognized the falsity of the shadows, the falsity of the senses, and have moved their minds into the domain of looking at causality and higher truths, they've had to try to fight to bring humanity into a state where we can access and be free of the tyranny, the, the master class trying to enslave us. Um, that's not easy. You can't just go and tell people that or else, you know, like if you just tell people, oh, all the gods you've been believing, all the sacred cows, by the way, that's all a lie. Um, they will rip you to shreds. They won't, it won't work. So there's been a lot of storytelling, a lot of mythologies that have been uh, utilized over the years to move society increasingly out of a state of enslavement. The New Testament is full of wonderful uh-huh. stories that if you think about the philosophical implications of a lot of the stories, they they move you into becoming a better, more sovereign human being. Uh, same thing for Dante Alighieri's stories in the uh, the thirteenth century. Um, and the the political application of this is that okay, we can have human law, like people like Saint Augustine, people like Dante, uh, people like the founding fathers, and those who inspired them. We're all trying to bring human law into a harmony with God's law. And that was there. So if you look at Benjamin Franklin, why was he a Freemason? Why was George Washington a Freemason? Well, part of it was practical intelligence purposes. If you're going to coordinate an international conspiracy to conduct something as dangerous as a, a Republican revolution in the 18th century, you have no internet and you have no cell phone. So how do you call, hmm. how do you uh, keep secret information that you need to keep secret because it's espionage between people in France around Marquis Lafayette, in Germany, in Russia, you know, yes, sir. Catherine the Great mm-hmm. is also organizing to the Ar- the League of Armed Neutrality that helps the Americans in India. Even you know, you have people like Hyder Ali, the great uh, freedom fighter who fought the British, who worked with the Americans in India, Mysore Rebellion. He was a, he was a Muslim. Um, big big reason why the American Revolution was a success. So how do you coordinate an internationally extended grouping with no electricity, no 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 telecommunications, no internet? So the utilization of certain lodges was very useful, as well as an idea of this more positive sense of a a deeper current of platonic uh, Pythagorean, you know, uh, thought that says that humankind is made in the image of God Hmm. versus other lodges, which are oligarchical that take on an Aristotelian view that no mankind is made in the image of a computer. To, to process information given to them by the programmers of the computer, by the elite, the elect that have secret knowledge that they, you know, can tap into by 
symbolic rituals or Kabbalistic um, self-induced hypnotic trances, which you can get by certain incenses and certain mumblings of of Kabbalist uh, uh, sounds uh, and rhythms. Right. That's how you get your secret knowledge. So it's it's two different opposing views of the nature of man, the nature of creation, and the nature of of political power that do conflict. And some lodges had at different times noble people who who represented something good, and 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 you'll find battles within the lodges, kind of like you'll find battles within sure. the United States or within China, between deep state versus legit elements. And at different times, like you know, people like Mozart, who is definitely part of the humanist. Uh, anti-oligarchical faction he was a he was a freemason that's what the magic flute was all about the lodge he was associated with in vienna was run by a, a really really interesting guy a scientist named uh, schenkenader and they were they had publications science publications and artistic publications for the masses where they were demystifying what these rituals were what what mm-hmm. is the, uh, the the pentagon what mm-hmm. is how do you discover it with your own mind instead of just seeing the pentagon as a five-fold symmetry that you then memorize and treat like it's some mystical thing how do you actually recognize it and know it? Um, so this was they were they were making a lot of enemies with the Vienna the eh, Viennese secret police uh, that were also Masonic and that ultimately purged many of them, killed many of them, and purged them by the by the time the eighteen fifteen period of the Congress of Vienna rolled around, where the the Napoleonic Wars were over, the most of the positive humanist Freemasons of Europe were mostly purged and destroyed. There wasn't much left in Europe. There were still remnants in the United States. But even there, it was uh, it was dwindling away, and I, I think that today, you'd be hard pressed to find, uh, at least at the higher levels of initiation. I, I mean, there's a lot of good people who are Freemasons because they're they don't know what they're a part of. They're on the lower order. Yeah, no, it's, it's like a boys a, a, a like guys initiation. Club. The higher you go, then if you go up here, then if we tell you what we know, we'll have to kill you. That kind of thing, right? Sort of like that, yeah. <laughs> so I, I'd be hard pressed to find anybody on a higher level yeah. of degrees in this day and age mm-hmm. who are actually part of anything good. Um, really? Wow. Yeah. I, now, I mean, but you will find examples of it historically, like I said, uh, where there was still a battle that was being waged generations ago. Um, that's, and so I, I, would, I would look at it that way. And, and again, judge, judge people by their actions, by their fruits, like the Bible says. Yes, sir. Not yeah. so much by uh, pattern associations. Pattern associations is a way of thinking which is useful as a tool, but to draw a conclusion based on pattern associations, what somebody says how it fits as a pattern with what somebody else says and and then saying okay aha now i know or because somebody's affiliated with uh one group and thus this other you what you know you have a definition of this group being evil their association is what allows a lot of people to to then say aha now i know this person is evil it's it you oversimplify and you cut out the nuance the truth which is unfortunately what too many people are, are want to do you know what 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 has been coming to me as i hear you talk um, so, is it possible that long ago in the Plato, Aristotle, in these times, the people actually had these kinds of intellectual conversations and really thought about stuff, right? Really thought, did they really? They must have, right? Thought about stuff and maybe discussed it at the tavern if they had taverns. And and then now with this internet thing, and we don't talk about this. I mean, we do on this kind of show, but... People don't talk about this stuff, right? I mean, they just thank God, thank God for guys like you in this show. They I just mean, don't, yeah, it's, right? It's, 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 it's all just nonsense what people talk about. <laughs> so, 
yeah, there's a lot of wasted wasted time. Yeah, um, really. But, you know, don't get too demoralized about no, it. I, no, I, I won't. Yeah. At, at, yeah. at ancient civilization, this is not new. The, the fact that the majority are living in the shadows in a herd-like state out, you know, below their own yeah, nature. Sure. Yeah. Um, this is not a new thing where the majority were foolish and uneducated. Oh, really? um, it's and it's always been like that, this. That goes back a long time, you know. So what were the people, sure enough, yeah, I, long I time that, ago, before the yeah. internet, the people that were the herd just not doing anything, what were they doing? Just drinking and carousing? I mean, what were they doing? Oh, no, you're right. There, there was there was a greater intellectual aptitude. Like they, they talk think? about the... Uh, you know the the Latin uh, farmer of the United States, the the who who could read the Bible even in in um you know could read the Bible could could read the ancient Greek texts mm. um, even though they didn't have an Oxford or Harvard education. They, there was a, a practice of teaching children at an earlier age to take responsibility and to be more literate by far than they are today. And you can get that even by reading something like, you know, as, as simple as, as Hans Christian Andersen children's stories in their original, hmm. um, you know, text. It, it's very sophisticated language that even a lot of adults are challenged to read in some cases. Um, but this is what we were expecting kids to be able to do, you know. So, in, in, yeah, there was a greater intellectual fortitude and probably also a greater degree of, of uh, appreciating and using your memory where, you know, before the, the recording devices of the 20th century, if you were going to listen to music, it was a very different sacred experience where, you you know, an, an orchestra would come into town and, and you know, you, mm. would, you would be fully present listening to it because you would probably not get to listen to that sonata again. And so it would be a different thing that you would be able to, you know, your mind would, would let the music continuously resonate and, and unfold as you leave uh, the concert hall. Right. So it was a very different thing in that sense. Well, what, the, yes. What were the? Do you know that what were the difference in the, the spiritual evolution or the stuff between Beethoven and Mozart? Any, I'm not an expert on this no. stuff, but I'm, I like both of them. And so I, do I, I, yeah. you can't understand, you can't understand uh, Beethoven if you don't understand Mozart. Um, I know that. Like you know, there's there's a lot that, uh, and you can't understand Mozart if you don't understand Bach. Um, and, and in fact, there was uh, a direct continuity where you'll find in different musical um, displays, works, there's a certain conversation between Mozart and Bach, who died much earlier than Mozart, and Beethoven and Mozart, and though Be Mozart died earlier, hmm. uh, they're, they're, they're taking themes and motifs in, in their works, and they're, they're redeveloping them. And, and citing, it's kind of like an author, you know, inspired by a previous author that they, they wrote, and you're citing them and adding to the story. Um, so there are these wonderful um, modes. But, I mean, I think the important thing about the quality of what, what unites this, this grouping together of, of artists in, the, in, the, in, the, in music is a quality of um, classical artistic expression, which is both rigorous and also like rigorous, scientifically rigorous. You have to be very disciplined to be able to perform uh, any of their works. Hmm. But it's also open to spontaneity and freedom. There's no repetitive pat pattern tyrannically holding you uh, into one modality. There's, there's qualitative leaps and changes that are unforecastable by a computer. Whereas, like, if you look at most of the modern pop music and stuff, it's, it's, made, it's made with these yeah. very, mm -hmm. you know, like sine wave algorithms right where any computer just pretty much makes the beat <laughs> yeah. and then you just sort of add some yeah. some yeah. banal lyrics into it 
Yeah. And uh, it just ends, right? There's no like beginning, middle, end. It just sort of like ends. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking with uh, Matthew Errett, uh, CanadianPatriot.org. It's always fun to talk to you, have you on the show. So let's go to present day. Are there um, different uh, cults or organizations like Freemasons or others that you can tell us that are kind of operating with, I don't know, with these oligarchs and the, free, um, the World Economic Forum and all that that you know of? It's a little bit more, as you get more closer to the present, mm -hmm. um, going into that, that domain um, is a little bit more messy. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's one thought, actually, I just wanted to get out because I was saying all this to just sure. give the, the thrust, the, the punchline uh, regarding the, the Mozart, Beethoven continuity, Bach continuity, is that the quality of a mind which immerses itself in that type of um, metaphysical geometry, mm -hmm. which also tie is tied to the the emotions as well, right? Yes, you're sir. developing your noble emotions. Um, you're developing patience as well, because some of these these musical pieces, like the Requiem by Mozart, is you know 45, 50 minutes. Um, hmm. Your mind is tuned increasingly to the nature of space time itself in the universe, which has both rigorous laws. There's a, yes. a lawfulness to the universe, but there's also a creative structure. Of qualitative change and growth in the universe yes which we see everywhere and so if you're going to resonate to that you the type of arts that you uh use to, to make yourself more fertile and i don't want to make it sound too utilitarian because it's a very uh joyous thing um has to have that coherence it's all about resonance and that includes also paintings and other things too and that's what these these figures are very when you read their writings about how they think of their relationship to the art and humanity whether Bach or Mozart or Beethoven, uh, you'll find the exact same sensitivity and self-awareness that that is their their role that they've given themselves yes, yes. to the to the to the universe. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a moral decision. It's not just you know, and that's right. why a lot of these movies are made of Amadeus or or more immortal beloved beloved out of Hollywood to try to bastardize and, and banalize the characters, the characteristics of people like Mozart and Beethoven, and make you think that they're just these irrational sociopaths or party boys <laughs> right, you know, right. it, it reduces the sacred and but, you don't actually get to know who they are but i guess it could be argued uh, on your that, question of the present, yeah, but, but both uh, of them before we go to that I, I guess it could be argued but any real creativity like this uh you're really kind of downloading god in a way aren't you you're just you're just kind of tuning that's in like a prayer yeah it's a, like a prayer you're downloading divine spirit whatever you want to call it uh, this present now thing yeah. Which is what they did, what Beethoven and Mozart did, right? And Bach. And Bach, yeah. And Bach. Every every single piece that Bach composed, he saw directly as a prayer yes. uh, to God. It was a sacred temple, your music. Yeah. Um, and, and you want to be able to uplift people um, to be more, more uh, in touch with God as yes. well. And that is necessary to create citizens capable of sovereignty and democracy, is to have citizens who hmm. resonate to that higher sense of what they're a part of yes, in sir. the universe. Right. Um, and then they can make decisions based on like, well, where is my society going? Um, you know, if you're just if you live in a mob rule society where nobody's think everyone's thinking about their their personal self interest and not thinking about the whole in a ra in a mm -hmm. in a moral rational mm -hmm. way, you you can only have mob rule masquerading as democracy. You can never have democracy. You will always have some tyranny over the you know in the cave, uh, keeping people who believe in their senses, aka shadows. Uh, looking at the cave wall and thinking that they have freedom, but they're actually supporting <laughs> a medical dictatorship or some, some shit like that. So that's, you know? that's what we go have going on right now, right? This pretty much in overall. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. A lot of people in the caves who believe in their senses, they, they believe in a bad way of thinking hmm. and they, they don't know that there's a better way of thinking that they haven't accessed, which makes it all difficult because how do you teach something 
how do you teach someone to 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 that their that their way of thinking is what is wrong it's not what they think about anything you can give them all sorts of information it's their as way details. of thinking yeah the way they're yeah, looking, how, how they're how looking they're at thinking, the world that's the problem and incorporate it. uh you can't do that if they're it's very difficult you can't do it literally that's that's one thing you cannot if hmm. you're if the person is miswired yes sir. they cannot become self-aware of their their thinking that take that that requires a different type of subjective experience to 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 shake you out of that so when uh, you say self-aware of, of their thinking you're saying that you are aware of your mind and your separation and also your connection with the mind at the same time yeah you you have to break free of the the subjective objective uh duality you, you have to be aware that you are both when you say i, I, I you are both subjectively i but you're also there's something else that is objectively i at the yes. same time right yes. um yes and and that's 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 something which again is the purview of of great art which is why i would say that the greatest core battle is not in the political or economic spectrum as much as it is in the cultural warfare domain of the arts because you'll find great movies um which we don't have very much of these days no. but or great plays by shakespeare or schiller or great literature stories by by poe you can't understand poe if you don't see this understand what he is a part of as a liberator of the people through his stories which mm. are they're they're wrapping core lessons about human nature about the nature of evil what causes good to become evil that you have to be able to have it inside of you if you're going to be able to yourself uh not fall for those traps of a um you know the guy who kills the black cat or the telltale heart or the guy who freaks out in the the, the story of the maelstrom you know with the two the three brothers who are on a ship caught in a maelstrom and one dies immediately and two brothers one of them is is grepped by fear and it just wants to hold on to his boat as it's, as it's you know going around in circles into the core to die and the other brother is able to still think about himself objectively he's able to look down upon himself and overcome his fear hmm. and he's able to see oh, okay not the lighter wood in this in this vortex are actually not going to the bottom it's only the heavier things like the trees that are going to the bottom and this boat that we're on is really heavy and he's trying to tell his brother who's freaking out like look we have to jump off and grab something light and we won't get sucked in and his brother can't think and tries to like even push his his smart brother off the boat and he's like just holding on and the other brother's like fuck it i i guess sorry for the language uh I guess that's it and he jumps off and he survives he holds on to a light piece of wood and his brother gets sucked on right into the middle and dies and so poe is teaching you like well which brother do you want to be which wolf inside of you do you want to feed right and uh, and music does that too great paintings do that too by rembrandt they're teaching you to think about yourself thinking velasquez big time <laughs> teaching you to think about yourself thinking that's good i like that you know yeah. uh, as you know i'm a, i'm a, been working on screenwriting for a long time and been working mm -hmm. on one screenplay forever about president that takes over the federal reserve bank you know he sends in the army and it's really good and it's a love story but a lot of the big screenwriters the uh, um i don't know the mehmet and uh, even um, aaron sorkin uh, they talk a lot about aristotle's poetics as being their kind of uh, um mm, well i don't know what the word is but it's kind of like their 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 mm, matrix for screenwriting, Aristotle's Poetics. Have you ever read yeah. that? And what's that? And I've yeah, read some not, of it. It's not long, but it's 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 pretty much just uh, 
the idea it's of story, formula. you know, it's good. But people overcome yeah, flaws. Middle end. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. People over <laughs> people have a they have a, a desire at the beginning of the movie, right? Or the beginning of their life. I want this and I get this, and then there's a catch to what you get, and then you have a flaw that you overcome. That's what all poetics is about, which is most movies, right? Which is what most movies yeah. are. And uh, and and that's that's the the subtle sleight of hand with Aristotle is oh. is that Lies are always wrapped in a lot of truth. That's what makes them attractive. Right. Um, I think as soon as you begin to formalize the creative process, you kill the creative process, and it makes it open to. Um, it makes the process open to. Humans aren't machines. Machines use formulas to compose. Right. Now, obviously, there are certain principles of mind. Of when you have a thought, a, a qualitative thought, there is indeed. Uh, it it exists in time. There's a beginning. There's a process of development. And there's an end, a conclusion, right? Mm -hmm, and just mm -hmm. like we were saying at the beginning, there about the conspiracy theory problem, people have a problem thinking about how a future state organizes the present unfolding. A great music teaches you how to think about conspiracy and how to become a and how to conspire yourself, how to how to mm -hmm. work with intention. So there's there's obviously that 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 future state of this, the sandwich was my example, right? That was my my simplistic example, or the house. Mm -hmm. You have that future, unexistent house that's only a potential, and you actualize the potential, or the sandwich. Um, a musical piece, similarly, it's unfolding in time. There's, there's obviously dissonances. There is, there, there's uh, points of instability within it, uh, within a, a Mozart piece, and then, or, or within a play, right? There's, there's challenges that are, that a character has to deal with, have right? To. A crisis have to. happens, have to. and, and have to. yeah. And, but there's a resolution in some way, um, whether it's a good or a bad resolution. The point is there's a punchline. That's, that's why jokes kind of have this character. A good quality joke has always a punchline. A punchline, yeah. Um, yeah. It's like a, a little microcosm of this. But, but everything is unfolding. Every word, everything is unfolding according to that future punchline. That's, that's what the causality of everything. So if somebody says, why is this happening? It's for the punchline. Um, hmm. Now, there, there's a way to organically think about it, and it's fine to... to to do a formal structure of things, to dissect it. But keep in mind, you have to be aware that you're killing the creative essence when you do that at the same time. Um, so, I mean, Aristotle in his Poetics, he also says, you know, that, that beauty exists only based upon our ability to sense it with our five senses. So if, if right. Aristotle gives the example that if, our, if a painting is so small that it cannot be seen or too large that it cannot be seen, it is no longer beautiful. Why does he say that? Because he doesn't believe in the essence of beauty. He thinks that beauty is simply the function of the senses. This is what's keeping people in the cage. All physical so and nothing, nothing other than physical, Aristotle. Right? No, exactly. It's yeah. purely subjective. He right. divides the objective from the, from the subjective. He creates that dichotomy. Hmm. And these are the Trojan horses that are, that are imbued under the surface when you take in Aristotle too much without a critical thought. I see. Um, there are all of these, or like, let's say, for example, in his uh, Nicomachean Ethics, uh, when he's talking about justice, he he says, "Okay, well, you want to you want to know what justice is? <laughs> justice is there's a justice for the slave, a justice for the master. We have to presume that 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 these are built into nature, masters and slaves. We see it in in animals. There's alphas and and betas. Well, I mean, he doesn't use those terms. Yeah. Uh, there's a justice for the mother, a justice for the and so he's taking justice and he's saying, I don't believe in justice. I believe in behavior." That things that modify our behavior to cohere in some crystallized set of relationships, that's an oligarchical view of justice. They don't believe in the intrinsic quality of justice. Hmm. Um, hmm. 
So, but you wouldn't, but there's a lot of nice things in his, in his ethics as well, that you're like, oh, he's such a nice guy. He's so reasonable. <laughs> but, but these are Trojan horses that if you let that, uh, that poison into your, your overall worldview into your, that goes even into your subconscious, um, you cannot think in a, in a, in a platonic way anymore. You cannot think in a creative uh, way, which is going to do anybody any fundamental good unless you break from it. Or unless you're you're you are Ooh. creative, despite the fact that I, intellectually you think you're an Aristotelian, but you're actually a moral creative being. Which there's a lot of those too. Like there's a lot of people I've met who they're like, yeah, I love Aristotle. I'm, I totally I, I follow Aristotle, and it's like, yeah, but but you just happen to be a good person. The reasons why you're a good creative person has nothing to do with Aristotle. That's just something you like. <laughs> uh, you're good. So you so know, the, for other the bottom line with with what I think I just heard you say that if we don't have a sense or an essence or a feeling or a belief, whatever you want to call it, Matthew, of that we are other than the physical body, then we're just we're just banging around whatever. We're just clunking around being dumb humans. Well, you're definitely cutting off your potential, that's for sure. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> cutting off your potential, yeah. I like that. Can you stick around a few more minutes? Uh, yes. How much longer? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, yeah, we can do one more uh, one more segment. Yeah, yeah, let, let me do a little commercial because this is fun. Uh, this is on sale, the Elk Velvet Antler, and if you uh, would like to uh, check this out, uh, you can uh, do it right now. We're talking with Daniel Vitalis of Sir Thrival. What's a little history on the Elk Velvet Antler, uh, the idea? Does it go way back? It does. Elk antler and deer antler and moose antler and all the antlers of the cervid in their velvet or young stage before they've hardened to full bone have been used as a euthening medicine, as a as a kind of libido enhancing medicine for thousands of years, particularly in Asia. We see this long history in China and then also in Russia as well. It was studied in Cold War Russia as a kind of anabolic supplement for their elite athletes. And that's where we get the base formula that we use at Sir Thrival. Now, we've optimized that formula using organic ingredients and really high-quality packaging, but is based on that current, that modern Russian uh, research and all the evidence that came out of that Cold War era. I think so. There's a reason these elixirs have been around for thousands of years. The proof is in the pudding. Elk Velvet Antler and all Sir Thrival products on sale now. Wait a minute. No. Just uh, Elk Velvet is. That's an ancient commercial. And you can use promo code FIT2022. Elk Velvet, OneRadioNetwork.com. Check it out. You can do it like right now and get yourself 15% off on Elk Velvet. And it's, it's a very, very nice product. So uh, we think you'll enjoy it. Whoops. Got to do this. Brian Clement, who heads up the Hippocrates Institute in Florida, talked about saunas here. Elkie writes in for Brian Clements. Would Brian give us some tips on what supplements we would need to take if we do saunas several times a week to replenish lost minerals from sweating? Well, Dr. Rao, who you had on, is a colleague and a friend. We do often conferences together in Europe. And I agree, we have saunas here. I take a sauna, so you know this, no matter where I travel in the world, 365 days a year. I think it's mandatory. Really? 87%, listen closely, 87% more heavy metals and chemicals come out in an infrared. Well, no wonder we feel better when we take these saunas. We have the Relax Far Infrared Sauna we've talked about. If I can get to it here. 
we have an ongoing uh, sale. Or I, I guess it's just a special, or as the saying goes, an everyday, <laughs> everyday good price on the sauna that you're just not going to find anywhere else. It's the best price ever, and it's $1,295, the sauna on sale. All you have to do is email me, Patrick at one radio network.com patrick at one radio network.com before we go back to matthew just a quick reminder shen blossom is one of the all-time really great uh companies uh brandon amalani is uh uh well he's a he's a good man he's got so many nice products hoshu wu 50 year old jin 50 hello 50 year old ginseng we like the uh um this uh, product called uh, Arise, uh, lots of uh, medicinal mushrooms, minerals. It's just a wonderful company. So if you'd like to just uh, uh, go on our website, click through One Radio Network on the uh, uh, Shen Blossom link, and you'll see all kinds of products that I think you'll have a good time with. And and I know that uh, I just absolutely know that you're going to uh, uh, enjoy your experience with them and... Um, You know, it's going to be worth whatever money, dollars you spend. From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. So we're talking with Matthew Aaron. Matthew, thanks for coming on. And I know we're keeping you longer, but uh, we'll just do a few more minutes here. Uh, He is a founder of the Rising Tide Foundation, Canadian Patriot Review. Now, I did have another uh, email. Somebody wanted to get those two books that you you have on the history, and that's at Canadian Patriot, right? That's where you get those those guys? Yeah, you can go to uh, canadianpatriot.org, and uh, you'll find as soon as you go to my website, uh, a bunch of options saying, buy my books, buy my books buy here. My books. And, you know, I try to make it easy for people to find. Yeah, and so I, I should probably get both of those with my uh, real interest in history and money, and, and you go through the whole presidents and all the stuff that they went through that week. Yeah, that'd be good for Everybody. me. Everybody, that'd be good for me. Oh yeah, all the way from Harrison to JFK and and Bobby. Um, yeah, yeah, every, everything. Cool. Okay, before we go, let's just kind of get uh, real here or unreal, whatever the physical reality is. Unreal to me, it's just a dream. So, what do you think's going on right now? I mean, here we are in uh, January eighteen, twenty twenty two. You look at uh, you've been studying history and the world, and it's all in perspective, and now. It's all just one big now anyway. So there's Matthew sitting in Canada and he looks out into the horizon. Give us your idea of what kind of world you think we're going to be looking at, in your opinion, uh, in the next six months, a year, politically, geopolitically, culturally. Yeah, Give me some of your ideas. I mean, I'm sure you've thought about it. Yeah, well, I have. Um, but, you know, it's one of these things where like we were saying about conspiracies, like we we are living in a world. I, I like the view of history as being um, a study of futures that were that came to be or or failed to become. Um, that that's that's I think a healthier way than than just seeing the history as being a study of things that happened as if they're disconnected now causally from how what you know our lives today. Um, so we're living in history. We're living in a world of futures competing. Um, that will or will not happen. Um, some of them are in harmony with uh, the actual self-interest of human, the human species, and others are completely out of harmony, as, as I think all of your viewers are aware. 
Um, nothing is, is perfect in that higher platonic ideal sense, but you know, we live in, in a material world. Guterres, who's the head of the, um, Antonio Guterres, who's the head of the UN, and he's, the, he's one of these assholes who tied the United <laughs> Nations very recently into the, uh, the Great Reset, uh, merging the World Economic Forum with the, uh, the United Nations last mm. year. Right. Um, hmm. He gave a speech I found very useful in November uh, where he said, we are in the danger of splitting, of, 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 of losing the whole of the world as, as a unity. And there are uh, two different geopolitical, technological paradigms that are splitting off that we have to try to keep under one roof. Um, now, I think when you do look at, and that's the purpose of my book, my volume two, of uh, 1890 to um, to the future. Yeah. It's actually what I call it, 1890 to the future, from McKinley's murder, especially, all the way to the present age. Um, the clash between the two systems, which is the title, um, when you look at the, the Russia, China, now increasingly Iran mm -hmm. uh, alliance representing, these are, these are people, these are run by intelligentsia who has been dealing with their own deep states. You know, Russia was almost totally destroyed under Yeltsin yes, sir. Uh, in the 1990s, right? Um, by all, if, if that had continued, there would be no Russia today. They would just be like Zbigniew Brzezinski wanted uh, a carved up series of smaller, maybe eight smaller mini federations controlled by NATO. Um, that was the big news orientation back in the 90s when he and he wrote he painted graphs of this thing so there was a a massive privatization a destruction of russia um and this is what putin's been fighting now for about 20 years wow. and it's still there like he didn't this is not a one game there's no like sovereign perfect nation of russia they're still especially over their their central banking system which was uh established or re-established in 1991 to be a private central bank controlled by the IMF, there's still a lot of Western liberal monetarists who are shaping and keeping Russia's economy bound to the formulas of the World Trade Organization and IMF. China had their own battle as, as well with their own Yeltsins, especially under uh, you know George Soros, who ran the coup in the United States. Also, he's been banned from China since 1989. The reason hmm. was because there was an attempted color revolution run by Soros and then the CIA in uh, the 80s, where they had one of their key figures, an agent called Zhao Ziyang, who became the, the, the head of the Communist Party, who was um, like the top guy. That, he, he actually co-ran a think tank with George Soros uh, in, uh, for two years. And there was a big nest of, of operatives who were brought in, these young technocratic reformers who also brought in the one-child policy from the Club of Rome, which was a Western oligarchical operation, and, and Henry Kissinger also was, was part of that. So they've been fighting against their own parasitical deep states for quite some time. The difference between us and China or Russia, for example, is we have totally succumbed to the deep state here on a federal level in the United States, Canada, and, yes, and much of Europe. Right. Uh, wow. They, What we have there is an actual serious resistance where at least by many, on many important levels, they've been able to we get back control, especially in Russia in the case of the military and intelligence under Shoigu and uh, Lavrov and, and Ryabkov. Uh, they've, they've got more national sovereignty that's permitted them to stop the destruction of places like Syria or Kazakhstan recently that was yes, uh, targeted for regime change, uh, or other countries too, uh, Ethiopia. Um, China doesn't have as much of a strong military, but they, do, they never gave in to the privatization of their central banks. 
So that's why they have a greater ability economically to build big things and emit long-term credit for, I mean, they got 40,000 kilometers of high-speed rail. They're building five different magnetic gravitation corridors right now. Uh, And they're extending these industrial corridors across Africa, Nigeria, Kenya. They're building rail, building big things, um, which is uplifting people out of poverty um, in any country that's part of the BRI, including the Middle East, which is, I mean, Syria just joined the BRI uh, this week. And they have plans for building rail, uh, really helping these countries finally rebuild after years of post-9-11 destruction, right? Um, So what you said, let me me interrupt so people understand. China, they can create yuan on a computer and build stuff. And as long as they control inflation and people don't get crazy, you know, and, and storm the castle, they can get away with it, right? They can get away with it. And they... They're always balancing it, and they can lower the value of the yuan, and they just don't go up and down, right, in relation to the dollar. Now, in other countries, uh, we, this country, borrows money from the private bankers. They, we borrow it. So China, uh, Russia does too, right, because it's private banking, private central bank there. It's a private central bank. They, they've got certain things where they, they don't have as much debt. They've got increasingly gold reserves, and they're de-dollarizing too because yeah. the U.S. threatened to kick, kick them out of SWIFT, uh, which is the, the basis for international transactions. Uh, and they're creating an alternative system outside of And SWIFT they've been working with, on that for years, right, this alternative yeah, with China. Yeah, Russia started theirs in 2015 or 14. Right. China started theirs in 2000, the year before. And, uh, and they're increasingly doing change. Uh, trade in local currencies. India has just jumped on board increasingly yeah. with Russia. You know, Putin visited Modi and they signed a bunch of agreements that pissed off the uh, <laughs> the ideologues of the World Economic Forum right. uh, to do, you know, trade in ruples and rupees, but also on, on the basis of new energy grids that are outside of the the green green belt initiative windmill solar panel fiasco (laughs) so when you know this is another thing when you look at countries like russia or china or india talking about decarbonization and then you you know it sounds like the same words being used by let's say a biden or ursula um look at what they're doing because the way that they're doing it is by investing massively in nuclear power they're still investing massively in hydrocarbons in Mm. natural gas um so they're not going they're not dumb enough to try to uh, make their society reliant upon windmills and solar panels because they are aware of physical economy, that, that, that the monetary part of the economy can come and go, right? It's it, the one that we have right now based on the US dollar, which is a speculative bubble set to blow up is a time bomb. It's a hyperinflationary time bomb. Hmm. It's not an economy. The real economy is the thing that supports life, your your agriculture, your your rare metals, your minerals, your right. your productive industries, your technology. That's what sustains life. To the degree that money services those things and investments service the creation of those things, it's fine. But to the degree that money is just allowed to self-multiply based on casino logic of gambling, <laughs> on fictitious capital, right. and un- unpayable debts that are securitized, that is a bomb. And it always has been a bomb since the tulip bubble days of the 17th century yeah. and the John Law bubble of 1720 and the you know the bubbles that, that hit the U.S. in the 19 after Jackson, Andrew Jackson killed the National Bank. It was a, a speculative frenzy of ups and downs and bank panics periodically and, you know. And same thing happened when the greenbacks were killed in the Species Resumption Act in 1871 was 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 put in free market liberalization everywhere markets took over governments weren't allowed to like plan anything anymore because the markets determine everything under the under British free trade and there was boom and bust cycles again that just weakened and weakened and weakened the nation 
to be absorbed more into the the, the oligarchical uh, structures. Hmm. And anytime you've had a Lincoln or a McKinley or a FDR or a JFK or what I think what Trump was overall trying to do, uh, you you had the opposite effect. There was intention, human thought of what a future should be governing the behavior of the monetary cycles instead of allowing the monetary cycles, which are always run by invisible hands, which are themselves part of, you know, (laughs) these invisible hands are invisible because the British Empire doesn't want you to know who's stealing from you and killing you. Um, (laughs) That's always the case. That's always the case. So that's what China and Russia are doing right now. You know, like they're, they're, they're actually building things Putin has a, there's a big fight to take control away from the, the, the Western liberalized ideologues and technocrats. Um, they, there's, a, there's certain things they have to acquiesce to because they don't want to uh, break fissures necessarily that will lead us towards nuclear war. So they're, they're on a balancing act. But Russia has a program to invest massively in, uh, in uh, what's called the Arctic and Far Siberian Vision, which is integrated into Mongolia, into China into Kazakhstan, throughout Azerbaijan, into the Middle East with other corridors of rail and development. New cities are being built. Uh, Shoigu, the uh, defense minister of of Russia, has been uh, leading the creation of several new major uh, city centers in the Arctic and Siberia. Wow. um, That are all part of a much bigger Mm. program of healing from the damage of the 1990s and recovering the lost population and, and developing real sovereignty. China's doing the same thing uh, by building up these rail corridors, you know, like bringing people in Tibet now, the the life expectancy went from 30 years of age on average in the 1950s, uh, all the way up to 71 years on average now. And people in Tibet have access to better quality internet than people living in New York. Um, you know, they have high speed rail <laughs> that moves faster than the rail in wow. Canada or New York wow. and friggin' Tibet and Xinjiang. Mm-hmm. Like my God, you know, like, and we're all being given uh, <laughs> a certain cia controlled cold war propaganda narrative from a bunch of umbrella organizations that seem like they care about the u.s um like epoch times and stuff but they're only exposing the the bad stuff inside of the u.s but when it comes to geopolitical analysis they're giving people all a sense that it's not the oligarchy in london that's the problem it's not the the financiers that's the issue it's it's evil china and russia who failed to overthrow us in the cold war and they're out to do it again and they're they're behind the new world order it's like it's just turning people's brains to jelly and, and it's annoying <laughs> brains to jelly well it is annoying well matthew thanks for coming on it was great fun talking to you we cover a lot of territory here my goodness here tell folks a bit about your website that they'll find when they go visit canadianpatriot.org yeah. that's the main one right yeah that's the, main. That's the one yeah canadianpatriot.org uh history geopolitics it's not just mount to canada i mean You'll see a lot on there. There's videos, um, and then the the or the website um, that's more cultural and educational uh, that I run with my wife, who's the co-author uh, Cynthia Chung of the the books I, I, we've been talking about. Um, that's the Rising Tide Rising Tide Foundation net n e t. Um, we do weekly lectures, uh, all sorts of stuff. That's a little bit more gets into the substance of things, uh, arts, literature. Uh, science, things like that, as well as politics, but it's just, you know, it's more cultural. So they'll, they'll find those. And also, obviously, uh, I encourage everyone to subscribe to my Substack. I, I put it out almost every day, a new a new uh, piece uh, to get my two cents or videos that I've, I've produced or just review. Um, they can get that in their email. Paid, paid is obviously better, but uh, most of them go out for free anyway. So you can subscribe to matthewerritt.substack.com. 
Yeah, I, I've never understood what the whole Substack thing is. What is that? It seems to be just a platform that makes content creators. It, it gives you access to your your audience directly. I see. Um, so you mm-hmm. can just. It's kind of like a newsletter, sorta, uh, and it just gives people a chance to uh, become to upgrade to paid versions. So it helps me and other content creators to, to support themselves. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So people could do like $5 a month or pay for a year or cool. do a, your own chosen contribution. And yeah. yours is matthewerrett.substack. Is that it? Yeah. It's hard to spell my last name, but you know, if people know. E-H-R-E-T. You'll find it. It's there. Substack. Yeah. So that's how people can kind of prescribe to it and send you 10 bucks a month or 20, whatever, whatever they want, right? And whatever they want. And help you guys pay the bills there. Just before we go, how are things as far as, um, um, you know, this whole whatever this thing is and masking and freedom and all that where you are? Is it pretty weird? It's pretty weird. Pretty weird. It's pretty. I mean, they, they, they removed momentarily the uh, the curfews as oh, of yesterday. We yeah. had curfews. Um, but still, you know, you can't. It's 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 quite it's quite bad. Um, they're trying to uh, convince the population. There there there's a discussion for mandatory vaccinations. Obviously, that's being floated on the federal level. The Quebec government, where I live, has already called for um, taxing a special tax for the unvaxxed. Um, they're going to give details <laughs> this week. So, okay. I, you know, um, <laughs> there's all sorts of things that that are that are being put down our throats to intimidate businesses. Businesses are under attack massively. There's nobody who's allowed to sit. That you still can't sit down in, in businesses in restaurants. It's all takeout. If if you're going to get anything, and, wow. and it's hurting, wow. a lot of people are going bankrupt. Yeah, um, and uh, you know they're they're also trying to convince people that the the problems in the healthcare system. All, you know, the fact that there's so many people utilizing healthcare resources right now and the ICUs are maxing out has nothing to do with the jabs at all. Um, it, it's just the COVID is just so That's bad. right. That's right. Um, yeah. And it has nothing to do with the fact that so many people quit their jobs because they didn't want to succumb to mandatory yes, you know, protocols to be vaccinated. Same so thing is happening here with the airlines. You know, it's all about COVID, not about the pilots that don't want to get, get the jab or, you know, it, it's just all propaganda more. It's just tough. Oh, yeah. Well, you take care of yourself. Stay under the radar, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's tough. It's tough when you invite me on your show. Yeah. Right. No, I, I mean, you know, we're, I we're at a time right now where what are you going to do? You know, the, the truth is at a premium, so we have to be courageous have and, to and know that we're we're in this all together. Yes, sir. So, uh, we are. Well, it's it's an honor to talk to you, and thanks for coming on the show from time to time. It's great to talk to somebody actually thinks for a living. So, thank you. <laughs> so it's fun to be on. Okay, care, Matthew. Patrick. See you real soon. Matthew Eric, Patrick Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com. Uh, he's a good man, eh? Indeed. Well, we are going to take a little break here, and what are we going to do? Well, we're going to take a break and then invite Mr. Lando in for a little get-together. Indeed. He's up in, um, where is he? Dr. Bear Paul Lando. He's up in the northwest, up uh, uh, in a beautiful area just uh, around uh, Northern California and Oregon when they meet together. He is a fascinating fellow, good man. Uh, he's so many different things, chiropractor, uh, movement. We'll talk about uh, uh, soul, uh, healing, uh, all kinds of stuff. And he's going to be on in about uh, 15 minutes or so. So I'm going to take a little break here, get a, some water, and then we're going to be back with you. And uh, my little camera thing has been uh, charging up, so I'll be on camera um, for 
what that's worth coming up here in about uh, 15 minutes. So stay right there. Thanks for your ongoing support. Let us know if we can help. Uh, may the blessings be. Patrick Timpone, one radio network.com. We'll see you in about 15 minutes here. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com.